Finishing up this series, Unveiled, How God Makes Himself Known, looking at five different ways that God reveals Himself, and this week, thinking about the ways that God reveals Himself through the counsel of the saints, through the wisdom and the counsel of many. You can't benefit from the best counselors in the world around you unless you're relating well to the person behind the principles. That's where we're going this morning. You, you have to have a phone that is not on silent, right? You have to be able to be open to receive from the Lord himself that God does through his wise counselors want to guide us, want to reach us. Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called uh, The Ideal Team Player. I think about this from time to time, that the ideal team player is humble and hungry and people smart. Humble and hungry and people smart. I used to think of it like this way, that, that I want to be a person who relates to other people with, with character, with some competency, and with chemistry. If I'm going to be part of a team, if I'm going to be part of any kind of effort to be humble... To relate well to people, to be humble, to be hungry, to continue to grow, that people would experience me not as a stagnant pool, but as a running stream, and to be people smart, to be emotionally invested. This is what it means, this is what it takes to relate to the person behind the principle. All the counselors, the best counselors in the world cannot help us unless we're willing to relate well to the person behind the principle. From the Word of God, John chapter 5, verses 31 through 46. Hear God's Word this morning. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that his testimony that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think, that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, will you receive him? 
How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray together. God, all flesh is like grass and his glory like the flower. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God, may your word be in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Heard this funny little story about a grandmother who would give gifts to her grandchildren, but they never wrote her a thank you note. She'd give checks for Christmas or for birthdays, never got a thank you note. Uh, she was complaining about this to a friend of hers, and then, um, and then one day she had lunch with that same friend and said how, how much her, her grandchildren had changed and how they, they had paid so much attention to her, writing her thank you notes, checking in with her, giving her calls, that sort of thing. And the friend said, well, what, what's different? And she said, well, th- now when I give them a check, whether it's for a birthday or for Christmas, I don't sign them. I don't sign the check. <laughs> Yeah, all the principles in the world, just the idea that it's a good thing to write a thank you note, all the teaching and instruction in the world that says, you know, it's, it's good to, be, to show gratitude to people who give you a gift. All that great instruction in the world doesn't mean a thing unless you're relating well to the person who wrote you the check who gave you the gift. And when you do start to relate well to that person, naturally, naturally. And sometimes it, you know, in grandma's case, it takes a little incentive to relate to her. But when you start to relate to the person behind the principles, the principles become personalized in your life. And so let's take a look at at how we can benefit from the wisdom of the counsel of many. With many counselors, plans succeed. You know, all the counselors that that are lined up with God's principles are hearing from one person, right? And so often we we may uh, imbue somebody with special authority. I hear this every now and then. When somebody hears something they want to hear, they give some of them, they impute to somebody a special kind of authority. Even Paul had the Bereans checking up on him to see whether what he was teaching lined up with the scriptures. And so this morning, let's recognize there's one person we're to relate to. All the principles in the world, all the best counselors in the world, all the prophets in the world, Moses himself cannot help you. Unless you're relating well to the person behind the principles. In these three ways. Relating well. As someone who's humble and hungry and people smart. First, we need to relate well. People who are humble relate well. They connect to the person behind the principles. Because they have a childlike faith. They have a childlike faith. 
Notice the posture of a child when they're holding a parent's hand. They're not just looking down. They're looking up. They're looking around. They have a confidence. They hold that hand there. They have a confidence that they're able to look around, to be who they are, to fully who they are in the presence and confidence of that relationship, not always having to look down in order to feel confident. And this is what Jesus was dealing with, with religious people. Just think of it that way. Religious people. People who are rules-oriented, principle-oriented, experts in the law. Jesus is dealing with them. He's saying, my word isn't in you. And he's, of course, talking about himself. The word, the word culminates in Christ, the ultimate promise of God, the fulfillment of the works sent for us to do, human beings to do. Jesus fulfills it. He is the word through whom everything is made. He's the word through whom everything is redeemed. And so if that word is in us, then we're able to benefit from counselors around us because we're relating to the person like a child, like childlike faith. Now, Jesus is alluding to the fact that they were willing to listen to John. They were willing to recognize that John was pointing, pointing backward to some promises, that John was pointing to a person that they were willing to recognize that John came to, to point not just to a set of principles, but that he was one, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That, that's an allusion to, to uh, Isaiah, who's pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, you went on retreat, and you listened to John. You related well to John because you recognized that he was pointing to a person. What happened? Now you're relating to that person himself. Can you personalize the principles? Or do you have to be in control of them? Do you have to look down on everything? Do you have to look down on and the information and to be in charge of it? Now, it makes me think of this um, situation with a bus. You probably heard this story where this bus uh, comes towards the... Uh, I don't know which tunnel is, whether it was a Lincoln Tunnel. Or, let's just say it was a Lincoln Tunnel. The bus was really tall, one of those extra tall buses, buses, and just barely couldn't clear. The bus driver stopped right before the bus because he recognized, oh, I'm X height, and that's X plus one height, or I'm X plus one height, and the tunnel's X, X height. So he stops because he knows he's not going to make it through there. And all of this traffic is piled up behind him, Right? So now they've got an engineering problem, right? So they call in some of the smartest engineers in, in, the, in the city, and they come in, and they're trying to figure out, gosh, what, what can we do, and how can we, should we get a helicopter, or do we need to sort of take part of this um, tunnel off? And then this child just says, why don't you let air out of the tires? And the child had the right answer. I love that. The, the, the true story about a child who, 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 who bests all of these uh, these uh, experts, because experts are always just, they're looking down. They have, they, they have the curse of knowledge. Have you ever heard of that? The curse of knowledge? And so they're, they're crowded with knowledge, cursed by knowledge, and cannot see the obvious, cannot just recognize, look up, look around, and see simply with childlike 
wonder, here is the solution. And here's a child who just says, hey, let the air out of the tires of the bus, and the bus will go through the tunnel. Jesus is saying, with humility, humility allows us to relate to the person behind the principles so that we can personalize the principles. Otherwise, we're just getting more and more information. Like I've said before, you know, we're all educated above our level of obedience, right? Let that sink in, all right? We're all educated above our current level of obedience. What does it take to become more congruent as a person? To where what we, what we aspire to, what we say, what we believe, and what we actually live begin to become more congruent. Does it take more shame, more guilt, more practice, practice, practice? And Jesus is saying, relate to the person behind the principle. And the principles will become personal. All the best counselors in the world, Moses himself can't help you unless you relate to the person. Second, the second way that we can benefit from great counselors, again, relating to the person behind the principles, is be hungry. Hungry, not just for more information. Hungry to know the person. Hungry and passionate about a relationship. Recognizing that we're not going to get it all right. We're not going to get it all right throughout the day. But to relate well to the person is to have a hunger to know God and not just more about God. Not just to add more information, but have a hunger to be affected by what we learn. Have a hunger even to change, right? Now, Jesus is dealing with somebody, some folks who are willing to go on retreat and have an experience, an added experience. Oh, that was good. You know, I've got all this uh, information about uh, my faith. You know, again, he's dealing with religious people. Let's go on retreat. And they go, to, they go out to the wilderness, and they, they're dealing with this wild and woolly figure, this prophet John, who's speaking to them of repentance and out there away from the institutions that they lead away from the social structure away from social capital away from all of that they're willing to add this experience this religious experience they're willing to add but are they willing to change they're even willing to to recognize, okay, I need to be baptized. I need to, I need to repent. They're, they're willing to have this experience, but is the experience changing them? Is it information, in other words, without formation? I love this testimony of Pascal. I've got a book called Famous Conversions, and in, in, this, uh, in this book is uh, Blaise Pascal's account of his own passionate hunger for God, his experience. He, he, he wrote up this experience that he had with God, this personal experience he had with God. He wrote it, and then he somehow, I, I don't quite fully understand what he did, but he kind of sewed it into the lining of his coat, like 
so that he could pull it out whenever he wanted. He, he, he lived with this. He walked around with this, not to forget the personal nature of faith. He writes this. He says, the year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 at night to about half past midnight, fire. Period. F-I-R-E. Capital letters. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and learned. Certitude. Certitude. Feeling. Joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ. He's only to be found. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus is saying, I mean, just forget about the fact that Jesus is sent by the Father, that Jesus is God in human flesh. Recognize what, what Jesus is doing. He's saying, relate to the person. This has been the problem all along. Can you relate to the person? Do you hunger to relate to the person behind the principles? Or do you want the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to manage for yourself? Do you continue in the way of, in a different passage, he says, the way of the evil one? Or are you willing not only to recognize the information, but to be formed by it? To be so hungry to know God, to be so, so uh, personal in your relationship to God that the things that you learn new about him, the principles that you learn new form you, don't just inform you. They're formative principles. The new information, all the counselors in the world, all the best counselors, Moses himself cannot help us unless we're willing and able to hunger for God himself behind the principles, the person behind the principles. Then the principles don't just inform us. They form us. To be formed. Takes some passion. To be formed takes a hunger to know God and not just more about Him. And this is what Jesus is confronting these religious people about. He's saying, know the person behind the principles. So we got to be humble, relating with childlike simplicity and wonder to God. We're called to be hungry. We we're called to connect personally with God and to hunger for formation and not just information. And finally, we're, we're called to be smart, humble, hungry, and smart. People smart. People smart. To be emotionally invested, not just interested intellectually, philosophically. To connect is to invest in the person for himself, 
not as a means to an end. And we're going to spend some time on this for a minute because I think we, we trip on this again and again and again. We, we want God in a little box. We all do it. We all do it. We want, as somebody said, $3 worth of God. Give me $3 worth of God, right? Just enough, you know, to recharge my batteries for the week, right? Not enough to uh, obligate me or not enough to change me, not enough to redirect me, not enough to sit me down in silence. See, so often we, we think of God as a means to some other end rather than an end in himself. All the counselors, Moses himself, can't help us. If we're simply approaching God as a means to an end, we've just objectified him. A guy named Martin Buber wrote a book called I Am Thou, and he's talking about the difference between, um, between relating to a person as a thing versus a person as a person. It's what Jesus is saying over and over again in the scriptures, and especially to this religious crowd, is you're relating God to God as a means to an end. Think of, think of what, what Jesus is saying to the, 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 the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is saying, what, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is recognizing, okay, he's just wanting something. He's wanting something for himself. He's not wanting God. And so what does he do? He, he confronts him with some difficult truth. What, what really matters to you, he's asking him. Go sell all that you own. What, what, what really matters to you? In other words, he's saying, let's strip all this down. Let's, let's, let's be totally and brutally honest about what you're looking for. Are you looking for God? Are you looking for God to give something else to you? Are you looking to God as an end in himself or a means to some other end? Uh, Jesus is saying, Moses, verse 45, Let's read it again, verse 45. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not uh, seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, he's saying, look, you like the social capital of your religious system. You like knowing things. You like being expert in law. You like the social standing that comes from, from being on the right side of history. That's what he's saying. He said, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you. It's Moses. This is brilliant. You see what he's doing? He's saying, look, you're oriented to Sinai. You're oriented to the Ten Commandments. You think uh, you got them down, just like the rich young ruler. I've, I've observed all those commandments from my birth. I've got all this down. I've checked all those boxes. You know, and there's one God, no idols. Respect God's name. Keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Do not kill, commit adultery, uh, steal, lie, or covet. Yeah, I got that down. I got this down. And Jesus is saying, but you're not relating. You're not recognizing that you don't really have those down. In fact, day to day, moment to moment, we're breaking every commandment almost all day long. You say, well, what, what do you mean by that, Tim? What do you mean that I'm breaking every commandment all day long? What, what are you talking about? Well, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is a little bit like the experience that we had last time we went, we took a trip to uh, Kenya. And, um, and, and we, you know, had our project, and one of the projects was out in Maasai land. And this was amazing when we, when we discovered that 
that the man who donated the land for the church that we were building, the church structure that we were building, the man who donated that land had three wives. Three wives. And we met them. They served us lunch. They were sweet. But he, he had recently come to Christ. He had come to Christ after he had married. So now what is he supposed to do? Just divorce two of them and, and let them sort of flounder through the rest of life? He's made a very complex situation for himself. And now he's discovered the principles. But not only that, he's discovered the person behind the principles. Now, how do I apply those principles to my life in this complexity, this this quagmire of human relationships that I've created for myself. Now I see the, with clarity that, that I have not uh, made a faithful commitment to one human being. I've, I've made a very complex kind of situation for myself. How am I supposed to rectify this? Well, that's you and me every day. Not to, not to relate to God in terms of the rules. Oh, I've, I've obeyed those rules. I've, I've observed all 10 of those rules. And certainly, you know, you know I've never married three, three women or I've never married three men. So I'm much better than that. I've, got, I've, got, I've never killed anybody. You know, I, I'm, I'm really just sort of weeding out. You know, somebody recently um, did a, a study of, uh, of, you know, just a national study of people and the kinds of statements that they make. And, and discovered that almost everybody lies at least a dozen times a day. Just little teeny misrepresentations, little embellishments, little omissions. And Jesus isn't talking about um, feeling worse about yourself. He's not talking about saying, gosh, you know, you're just terrible. I can't believe that you think you've got... He's saying, you're not relating. You're, you're relating to primary colors, but you're not recognizing that God is a thousand shades of pastels, right? You're saying, oh, I've got the basics down, and so I've got it, and I'm, I'm sort of standing over it, and Jesus is saying, you're not relating, investing emotionally, day-to-day, dependent upon God, moment-to-moment for the very air that you're breathing, for the way that you relate to other people. You're not being smart. You think, you think relating to God is, is sort of this sort of hopscotch through life, kind of just get the Ten Commandments down and just understand, you know, the primary colors of blue and, and yellow and red. But what God is inviting us to do is to invite Him into every moment, is to have the abundant life is to relate well to him. And there, there are moments, there are times, there are situations like in some of the, the difficulties that several families among us have experienced in the last couple of weeks that show us this stark need to relate well to God. That God isn't there just to sort of give us the right answer for why bad things happen so that we can feel better. That God isn't there just to give us a better life. That God isn't there just so we can turn the right knob so that we can make sure that we have eternal life. That God isn't there as a means to some other end. But we see in the face of suffering sometimes that God has presented himself to us and the only thing that can answer us in those, that, those times is not an answer, but a person. Not a principle, but a person. 
a presence. Why does this happen? Why did this happen? How can we make sense of this? You can't. But you can be present. Sheldon Van Alken wrote a book called A Severe Mercy. And that, that, this is one of those books that had me at hello. I, I, I recognized that the title spoke truth in my life. That when I was dealing with, with a significant loss in my life, that what God was doing was showing me a severe mercy. And I wasn't orienting that loss in all of the world around me. I'm just saying he's exposing me to me. That I was thinking of God as a means to some other end. But in the midst of suffering, stripping away and stripping away all of the nonsense that I had built up around the idea of God. And saying, can you simply, in your pain and suffering, let me be present with you? Not to answer your questions, not to fix the situation, not to tell you that, well, there's going to be meaning to this or there's a silver lining or there's some sort of prophetic answer that's coming by and by, but simply be quiet and let me be present with you. Sheldon Van Alken said this, though I would not have admitted it even to myself, I didn't want God aboard. He was too heavy. I wanted him approving from a considerable distance. I didn't want to be thinking of him. I wanted to be free like a gypsy. I wanted life itself, the color of fire, the loveliness of life, and Christ now and then, like a love poem, I could read when I wanted to. I didn't want to be swallowed up in God. I wanted holidays from the school of Christ. And then he says this. As he was facing the death of his beloved, he said this. That death, so full of suffering for us both, suffering that still overwhelmed my life, was yet a severe mercy. A mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Jesus isn't messing around with the religious folks who are tinkering around with the God questions. He's saying, all the counselors in the world and Moses himself will not be enough unless you can relate well, humbly, hungry, smart to the person behind the principles. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your severe mercy. That you loved us so much. That you took on flesh. That your sacrifice shows us who we are, whose we are. Strip us down today, O oh Lord, we pray, that we may be ones capable, willing, able to receive you, the living God, not for any other means, but to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.